Hey listeners, welcome to 10x Growth Strategies podcast. This is your host, Preeti Padmanavan, technology executive, investor, and board member. Today, we will feature the book, Loon Shots, How to Nurture the Crazy Ideas that Win Wars, Cure Diseases, and Transform Industries by author Safi Burkhal. Our guest today is Guillaume de la Serra, who is the Chief Product Officer at Jelly Smack. G is a startup entrepreneur, product leader, and business developer with 15 plus years international experience in launching and scaling digital media businesses and products in Europe and the US. Welcome G to the 10X Growth Strategies podcast. Thank you, Priti. So happy to be here. Excellent. Uh, we met at another conference called the Plato. It was a pleasure to hear you speak there. I'm sure the audiences are going to really enjoy hearing your podcast here today. Would love to hear a little bit about you, your current role and past highlights from your career. Okay. Uh, so as you can hear from my accent, I am French, uh, but I spent uh, almost my entire professional career in New York in tech. I uh, relocated with my wife, uh, who's French too. That's probably part of the reason why we relocated. Uh, we relocated about three years ago to Paris and I, uh, I have two kids I mean, and uh, I've spent pretty much the last decade building products for musicians to grow their careers. A company called Benz in Town and then in other you know, ventures. And I recently joined about like three months ago, Jelly Smack, which is doing the same thing, but for video creators. So at Jelly Smack, we help creators go bigger, help them go cross-platform. We help them go global and we help them go from, you know, long format to short formats. I enjoy helping creatives, creative people, you know, make a career out of their passion. So that's, that's, that's really my, my core mission as a, as a product manager and product leader. That's fantastic. Actually, I'm a musician myself. I'm a singer. Oh, I do more. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I didn't share that. Are you going to sing something? <laughs> on this episode? I have never done that in my podcast. <laughs> Maybe we should try. Maybe we should try. You can't, I'll make sure you don't edit that out. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, maybe we can. I performed in bands, mostly Indian music, Bollywood, uh, very fast numbers. Uh, and uh, I started trying my, my luck at uh, karaoke, English karaoke recently. And it seemed to go okay, except I keep always thinking, is my accent too strong? <laughs> I'm sure, song. I'm sure it's not. I, I was a bedroom producer, like, you know, a very long time ago, like, fiddling around with like uh, electronic music, software, you know, have a reason. So uh, I, feel, I think I still have a few tracks out there. Uh, maybe it was like 50 uh, listens in a decade. Wow. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, um, it's a passion of mine too. Like music has always been a important uh, thing in my life. That's yeah. great. I mean, what you mentioned is such a critical thing because for performers and artists, getting a career out of it is not a not an easy thing right i had to choose 
uh, I chose to do the technology route because that's where there was opportunity to make money. And music is still my hobby. I managed to get a couple of albums out, but it's not my main uh, you know, source of income. So if you're doing that to help people who are passionate about music uh, to pursue it. I think that's very noble. And I love that, that you're doing it. I did that. I did that for a while. Now, now I'm doing that for video creators, mm-hmm. which by the way, you know, we're on a 10 X sports podcast is like, okay, that's an addressable market. That's like 10 X bigger than music itself, which, um, yeah, it gives you an idea of the opportunity that we're onto at JD Smack. So that's, that's very, very exciting to be part of this, uh, this, uh, story. Love it. 10x, 10x. That's that's the mantra here. Yeah. Uh, now let's look at creating 10x growth with some of the ideas from the book you picked up, the Noon Shorts book. So why did you pick up this book? So actually, I, I, I picked it up because I, I read it recently and it had like a, a, a deep impact on my view on, on you know, on product management and, and uh, how to structure product team for uh, blitzscaling in a way. But I didn't pick the book actually. The, the founders ordered it for all the executives to read. Did that right before I joined. So, you know, I had a little bit of time uh, between the, my, my two uh, gigs. And, and uh, so I, I, I read it and I really enjoyed it actually. I, I really did because it's not your typical uh, management book. You know, it draws on uh, theoretical physics, on history. I wouldn't say trivia because it's like a very uh, like defining moment in our history that not many people know about in our, um, you know, and, and the technological breakthrough that, that now we all take from, for, for granted and how they, how they were initially created. Like what is the blank page that they came out of, right? It's, it's interesting to, to how much he studied that, he studied that, um, that, that phase. So that, that, that was really interesting. So. Do you mind sharing a couple of things that you got out of those examples and how did you possibly take away and apply that? I mean, there are so many things that I, I took away from, from, uh, from this book, but I would say one thing that I, w- I found really interesting when you work in tech, uh, especially in the US, um, the culture is very product centric, which is great. It's not, it's, it's less the case in France, to be honest, but 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 yeah, they think that that equals like P shots and and S shots, right? So so I think it's important for for your listeners to understand what he means by loon shots. Maybe we should we should start finding that. But basically, the idea of a loon shot, it's it's even more and crazy than a moonshot. A moonshot is an idea that's like crazy, but has, that is some sort of validation, right? And that 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 you can scale it. You can actually send a, a rocket to the moon, basically, right? A loon shot is pretty much like an idea that, that's, that sounds completely lunatic at start. And that need, that, that's going to fail like a thousand times before it succeeds. And what, what a lot of people don't necessarily realize is how much serendipity happens in innovation. Obviously, it's not an idea that falls from the sky. I mean, people have to work hard at it, right? But like sometimes you're like going after something and you're, you're trying to optimize for a specific outcome, but on the way, I don't know, things don't happen the way you think they're going to happen. And then you end up in a completely different uh, direction and completely different application of your technology that's actually going to be revolutionary. I mean, a typical example of that would be maybe uh, how YouTube started, right? Like they, they, I think it was supposed to be a video dating uh, you know, destination at some point. That's what I found interesting. 
But coming back to the P shot and the, and the S shot, right? So people in tech, they tend to be very focused on, on product, but there are actually moonshots that can be like strategies, like new ways of doing things. And they can be very often as impactful as like bringing a brand new breakthrough product to, to the market. I can give you uh, some, uh, some examples of that, but like, if I go back, obviously I work in a creator economy. So, so I am biased towards like this, the history of YouTube, right? But, but if you think about how YouTube started, like, so I, I mentioned, came out of an idea of maybe doing maybe a video dating site. And then on the way, the uh, delivered a, a P-shot, which was like a streamlined way to upload a video on the internet and embed it, right? Because it used to be very complex. You have to set up FTP and the server and dis display the video on the webpage, et cetera. So that's the P-shot, right? But the S shot is when they, you know, after all this Viacom lawsuit and, you know, they, they realize that maybe after all, they didn't need the content from IP owners, you know, existing like incumbents, big media conglomerate, the Viacom, this word. And like, basically maybe the idea, maybe the application of their product was not like to get like TV onto the web. Maybe it was about building a new kind of TV, right? with their own and that, that's that's when they started investing heavily in like you know having production studios for free for creators and maybe like putting some creators on billboards in new york and etc because they from a strategic standpoint they, they were like maybe, maybe we, we we don't want to do tv the same way it's been done for tv right uh we're going to let creators do it and we're going to help them do it and now we'll all talk about the creator economy and, and then we see that your kids and, and and my kids in the future are court cutters they don't watch tv right they watch they watch videos on their cell phone and it's no longer distributed by TV channels, but, but it's distributed by social networks, right? Mm -hmm. And that's how they consume media today. And that's what JD Smack, JD Smack is part of this, right? That's, that's what we support. Yeah. I mean, I love what the author talked about how uh, companies need to invest in both types, uh, yeah. like how P type alone can leave them blindsided because S type noon shots might take time, but they will take over uh, the competition. Like he, the author talked about American Airlines taking over Pan Am in the past. That's another non-technology example out there. And, uh, and same way Walmart, how they established these stores outside town. And uh, they were uh, originally like, people would think like, why would somebody go outside town uh, for these big big uh, you know market markets like Walmart but eventually all the smaller competition was uh, crushed uh, right so that was interesting to see that uh, as like you said uh, rightly as product people we we love p-type loon shot something that's innovative yeah. and and new and shiny and but the s-type noon shots that are innovating in strategy and different type of running the same business also in long term is interesting for us. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Let's talk I, about one other thing that uh, that was discussed in the book. Uh, the author talks about the Moses trap, wherein uh, the innovation is only driven by the leader and not the teams. Uh, sort of like you know top down approach or whatever we want to call it. And then there was a different opposite one, the park trap. Uh, where nobody makes a decision and so you lose out on innovation. Tell us your experience, like how have you seen this unfold in your career? So he talked about this concept of artists and, and soldiers. So the artists are more like the 
the Johnny, the Johnny Eves, you know, like the creative type that will bootstrap and iterate really fast uh, and, and will bring your product from zero to one. And then the soldiers are more like managers that are really good at like process and operations and, 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 and they will scale to your business, right? And how important it is to nurture both sides as a, as a leader, like you, you want to love your artists equally than your soldiers, right? And there is innovation in both. So I guess the Moses trap is usually, you know, if it's especially true for, for the scale-up uh, because what you'll end up having is that you have uh, a founder or founding team and they've, they've been artists at, at the beginning, right? So they, they've been through that phase where they're like hyper-creative and then they've seen that moment where it snaps into kind of like fledging products, snaps into a scale-up mode and becomes a big franchise. And they're really, um, I would say, concerned about losing that edge, right? As they grow, as they, come, they become bigger, they, you know, they, they, they become worried that they're gonna lose that, like that innovative mindset, this like can-do attitude, this like, because they, they, have, they have to hire middle managers, right? In order to manage a lot more people. What happens is often founders will, especially, it's especially true with product, right? They will try to have a tight grip on, on innovation. Right. And especially it's very hard for people within the organization to challenge those views because here you have like a founder that has proven to be successful as an artist. I mean, he's managed to scale an organization. He probably made uh, very well for himself. So it's very hard to challenge. You become in this mentality, it's like, you know, you have like yes men saying yes to any idea that the, the founder has. And you have this group thing type of, uh, and that, that can be a trap. And so the classic example is like Polaroid, right? Like uh, where, the founder completely missed the opportunity to, uh, to go to digital camera and went heads down on, on Polavision. I would say, you know, as a CPO, and usually the CPO at an early stage of a company is very often the CEO, right? Like, I mean, it's just uh, the way it is. You want to make sure that you have a deep understanding of the vision of the founding team, really deep understanding of the vision, and that you can be kind of a, a gardener right? That will nurture both sides of the equation, right? Like the, the artists and the soldiers, right? And maintain what he called like this dynamic equilibrium between the two and separate those two groups so that, uh, so that artists can create on their own. And, you know, but, but at the same time, create the bridges between the two so that, you know, once, once you've validated like shot, then it can scale um, to a big business, right? So that, that's, that's kind of your, your role. That's pretty much how I, I see my role as part of the scale. I'm really, really trying to understand what the vision of the founders is and, and, and maintaining both sides of the equation, basically. That sounds like an exciting challenge to balance both those sides. Uh, do you end up creating separate teams so that way the innovators can go do what, what they love? We have kind of our core business. Right. And that's, that's why we have our franchise. I mean, I, I call them like factory products. Right. And then you have other products that, are, that can open up completely new ways of doing things, you know, and then we, we call them like lab products. And obviously the factory products require a lot more alignment, a lot more of the soldiers in a way, you know, people that know how to scale things and very uh, metric driven. And, and maybe on the lab side, you have like more like uh, bootstrappers and creative but you can be creative in both sides, but what, you see what I mean? Like 
And in order to kind of have this, you know, dynamic, I would say like phase transition to enable that connection between the lab and the, and the, and the factory products, you have like the platform products. So like whatever innovation comes from the lab should feed into the, the platform that will basically provide the building blocks for the factory products we built upon, right? That, that's kind of like the ideal scenario. That's pretty theoretical, but, but it actually has a, some real day-to-day uh, -day implication that, you know, as a CPO, you, you want to be very hands-off on lab product and the product vision is being driven by the lab products and, and a bit more hands-on on the factory products to make sure everyone is aligned towards like scaling the core business. That, that's, that's how I see it. Yeah, that's that's great. I actually I work on the Freshworks platform, which is exactly that same model that you talked about, where we have innovative new ideas that are getting built out as services, new new things like collaboration, integrations, or security and scalability, which sometimes are important for the overall business to be more. Uh, uh, future uh, driven, right? And so then those uh, new new ideas are implemented in the platform and then picked up by the product uh, at, uh, at a certain time to then become part of the solution that is sold to the customer. It is interesting though, I have seen that that it's uh, there are challenges in terms of the franchise side to pick up the innovation on time. Uh, sometimes I find that the creative teams and the innovators have to really convince the franchise teams because the franchise teams are trying to balance between what they've already sold and making sure the customers are happy and, uh, and, and updating those features and that's part of their roadmap and then picking up these new innovations that are going to take the company to the next level. So that's another interesting thing, dynamic that I'm seeing as a platform person. Yeah. So I had another thought about uh, what we what I read in the book. Uh, the author talk talks about the systems mindset rather than an outcome mindset. Right? That's almost like a Zen philosophy, I would say. Right? Yeah. Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on uh, why is it important to have the systems mindset. Have you found that useful in your career? I guess what he's trying to say is that they, they can be like like false positives, meaning you can have like great decisions that that produce bad outcomes and you shouldn't kill those initiatives just because they produce bad outcomes. You should actually try to understand what are the external fat factors in your decision system that produce those those uh, those bad outcomes and like factor them in to do your next decision, right? So when, when you're iterating towards like product market fit, at what point do you say, okay, you know, I was just like a bad idea. There's no market for it. A little part of like a um, leap of faith mm -hmm. in the future, right? How long can you sustain that leap, that faith that these things will end up um, happening eventually? But at the same time, you have to closely uh, re-challenge yourself about how you're doing things, right? Have you made the right decisions? Have you captured the right data points? Have you are you optimizing for something that no one cares about? We tend to iterate like really, really fast um, in, in, in our product. And we, I mean, I would say that it is, you know, as a scale up, it's less of a relevant, I would say notion because we don't have a choice, right? We're, we're scaling, like we'll just like push forward no matter what, right? And, and I think it's different when you're like in a very large corporation and at what point do you kill like the lab because it's just not working. It's not really the way it's, it's uh, 
working uh, i would say in the in the scale up like like people are very entrepreneurial very you know trying a lot of things the most important thing is like if you fail you learn and you don't do the same mistake again basically that's that that's really how you move forward yeah yeah yeah, yeah and i think that uh, that risk taking the other um, not having a fear of failure uh, certainly has proven uh, one of the mantras of uh, innovation uh, right uh, that i've seen in silicon valley too um, and having that systems mindset to observe both the uh, success and failure and learn from the same. Uh, I think I loved the point that the author made about uh, where he said, if you succeed once, don't think that you're invincible. Uh, you, yeah. know, you could not fail in the future. So just study both success and failure. Why did you succeed? Why did you fail? So that way you can continue to keep that uh, train going forward. So I'd love to hear any additional thoughts you have about the book or anything else you want to share as insights to the audience. What I found interesting is like we, we really, uh, as a scale up, like, you know, it, it defines this, I think there's like a really interesting thing that, that is explaining, you know, which is the, the, the phase transition, it, it draws from like theoretical physics, right? Like, so, so the idea is that you know, as a company, you start out as uh, being very fluid, very innovative, uh, failing and learning fast, etc. And then at some point, you know, you're gonna, and he defines that point to be like about around 150 employees. Mm -hmm. You're gonna have to attract more like soldiers and, and incentives are gonna be different, right? So people that are early stage, they're gonna be pretty much doing anything. They don't care about rank. They don't care about uh, salaries. They don't, not as much about salaries, they don't care about titles, etc. And as the organization grows, then incentives change, right? For newcomers, right? So, so people start caring about salaries, they, they care about rank, they care about titles. And, and it's not because their own nature, it's just you take the same person, you know, a different state of the company, they will optimize for their own outcome, right? It's not, it doesn't, it has nothing to do with personality. So that's, that's one of the real challenges, right? Like how do you still maintain that equilibrium between this like liquid state and this gas state how do you you know what i mean like how do you make like how do you keep the water like bubbling right where you have gas and, and liquid it's like in the same uh, happening at the same time right um i think it comes with um a lot of other incentives too obviously there's there's equity there's salary etc there are like bonuses and you know and all, all the financial rewards but it has kind of the culture that you have in the company and like uh, how the sense of mission the sense of purpose the ability for people to shine within the organization but also outside of the organization the ability to trust people that they can grow with the company you know you don't necessarily have to always hire someone who's done this 10 times before right you can actually grow someone within the company and, and trust them with this. That I think is a very uh, important factor to scale while maintaining an innovative mindset and rechallenging yourself. I mean, everyone's chasing the mode, right? Like business that no one can take from you. But like at the end of the day, like it takes a very long time to get to that stage where you're like, you, you have a mode, right? So you should uh, assume that you're not gonna have a mode forever. That, that's pretty much uh, the mindset. Yeah, there's going to be all these forces coming at you and so you have to constantly keep changing, like you talked about the phase transition. Uh, yeah, approach. and you have to be open-minded. You know, it's not because you're successful that you're always going to be successful. 
and that other people that have come up with come up with new ideas are not going to be more successful than you they're not going to be like taking over market and like and because you're so blindsided by your by your own success right so being very humble i think is a key component excellent i think in one of my companies i worked for uh, the hungry and humble were two two major uh, drivers yeah. uh, so that seems to be a popular one now exactly <laughs> excellent well it was a pleasure speaking with you ji i really enjoyed our conversation likewise thank you yeah. priti and audience uh, check out the book loon shots and thank you for tuning in and uh, since ji asked me to sing i'm going to <laughs> sing a Please. small snippet of one of my favorite english songs hope it sounds okay so Welcome to the Hotel California. Such a lovely place, such a lovely place, such a lovely place. That was great. Honestly, yeah, yeah, it was really good. You have the right uh, tone. Thank you, G. So I won't sing. I I I'll spare you that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we can always jam maybe next time. When... Maybe we could jam, yeah. I'll plan a trip to Paris or if you come to California, we can certainly meet up. I definitely yeah, I would I would love that. I would really love that. Thank you Preeti right. and thank you for listening. Thank you G. Thank you audience for tuning in. 